Welcome to the Justin Peters Program, where we're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, studying to show ourselves approved, rightfully dividing the word of truth so that we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here's your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you are doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me. I want to begin by giving you a brief update on my health. A number of you have emailed me asking uh, how I am doing, because some of you may know that I've had a kidney stone, or stones, I suppose, for the last several months. It began back in August and kind of went away and didn't have any problems with it until about a month or so ago, and then it started back up again. And uh, a long story short, I preached last week at Kootenai Community Church, and uh, really, I was I was not feeling great when I got up that morning, but uh, after I preached, then it really began, and I, I really was not feeling well at all and in quite a bit of pain. And long story short, I was supposed to have gotten on an airplane early the next morning, Monday morning, to fly to Memphis to be one of the speakers at the Contend Conference that Brandon put on. I was really looking forward to that, but uh, I I called the uh, doctor who was on call and told him what was going on, and uh, he said, you really need to come in. So I had a, a kind of an emergency ureteroscopy last Sunday night. And uh, I think got rid of the kidney stone. I'm, I'm still in a fair amount of discomfort, but um, they put a stent in me. And so that thing is still up there somewhere. And I'm supposed to have that stent removed Monday on January the 5th. And so I'm hoping once that stent is out, maybe maybe the pain will subside. So uh, anyway, it... it I'm not in, in as acute pain as I was before, but still in a fair amount of discomfort. But um, all things considered, I'm doing well. Uh, when we, I was first trying to get my condition diagnosed, they said, well, you either have a kidney stone or you have cancer. So I was, I was glad that it was the former rather than the latter. So anyway, I, I do thank you for your prayers. Not, not completely out of the woods yet. I mean, I'm, I'm not... Uh, life is not in danger or anything, but I, I am still in a fair amount of of discomfort, but uh, nothing nothing too serious. But I, I do thank you for your concerns. Thank you for your prayers for me and my wife, Kathy, very, very much so. Lord willing, we should be in our house in another couple of weeks, so we are eagerly awaiting that and uh, to have all of our stuff back. We've had our stuff in storage uh, down in Oklahoma for so long that we've almost forgotten what we have. So uh, it'll be good to get that back and, of course, take a while to get everything settled in our new home. But we are looking forward to that, looking forward to getting out of the RV. It's getting kind of small, a little claustrophobic here. And uh, again, I will apologize at the outset if the heater kicks on. Probably will before I'm through with the program. So uh, I, I do Appreciate your patience and bearing with me through this time when I kind of uh, don't have all my equipment and, and uh, uh, it has been a, a little bit difficult, but I appreciate your patience. So I want us to continue in looking at this passage, Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, and I've entitled this Rest for the Weary, Matthew 
chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. And just as a brief recap from last week, uh, let me read the preceding verses just quickly and, and talk about a couple things that I think we can learn from the context of this, and then we'll get back to the to the main text, verses 25 through 30. But beginning of verse 20, Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Verse 21, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And this, just in the way of context, a couple of things that I think we can learn from this before we get to our main text, beginning of verse 25. You might recall last week, if you joined in, we talked about how, number one, that this text tells us that signs and wonders are not sufficient in and of themselves to bring the lost to a saving knowledge of Christ. Because it was in these uh, these cities that Jesus had performed most of his miracles. In fact, Jesus performed more miracles in the, in the city of Capernaum than he did in any other single city. It was in Capernaum that Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. It was in Capernaum that he healed the woman with the issue of blood and that he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so we talked about how these, even though Jesus did most of his signs and wonders, most of his miracles in these cities, they refused to repent. Verse 20, he denounced them because they did not repent. So miracle signs and wonders are not sufficient in and of themselves to bring the lost to a saving knowledge of Christ. Only when people submit to the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit and they cease to do what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, only when they cease to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, then and only then will they be converted. And the second thing that we learn from this, the context, and uh, we kind of stopped in halfway through this point, so we'll continue today. But we talked about how the sin of indifference is far more serious than the sin of actively opposing the gospel. Because unlike other cities, the residents of Chorazin, of Bethsaida, and Capernaum never took any direct action against Christ. I think this is very interesting. They never took any direct action against Christ. They basically ignored him. They were indifferent to him. Now, from our human perspective, we talked about how it would seem most logical to us that Christ would be most indignant, would be most angry against the people who actively opposed him. We talked about how it was in Nazareth that the people tried to throw him off a cliff. I mean, that's really some direct action against Christ, is it not? They tried to kill him. 
and they tried to throw him off of the cliff because he was teaching on the doctrine of election there in Luke chapter 4. They did not like that. And so they tried to throw him off the cliff. But it was not Nazareth that was the recipient of his upbraiding here. It was not Nazareth that he directed his uh, indignation, his, his anger at. He directed his anger, his indignation at Chorazin, at Bethsaida, and at Capernaum. These cities never actively opposed him. They were just indifferent to him. And the sin of indifference is far more serious than the sin of actively opposing Christ. He seems most indignant at those people who just are indifferent to him. And um, I want to read an interesting passage in Second, in, excuse me, Second Kings chapter twenty-two. This is interesting. Second Kings chapter twenty-two is a little kind of a parallel passage. Well, not really parallel passage, but something you can cross-reference here. King Josiah. King Josiah in Second Kings chapter 22 emphatically declared that Israel's great sin was that it had not, quote, quote, it had not listened to the words of this book to do all that is written concerning us. And because Israel disregarded God's word, was indifferent to God's word, King Josiah said, quote, he said, the wrath of the Lord burns against us. It's not that they were actively opposing God. It's not that they were, uh, you know, having a campaign against Yahweh. They had just not listened to the words of the book. They had not listened to the words of God. They were indifferent. And that seems to really bring God's anger when we are indifferent to him. And dear friends, I think this is the tragic and perilous state of most who profess to be Christians, most who profess to know Christ. And though we bemoan the moral decline in our own nation, uh, we live in a country in which, according to Gallup, the pollster Gallup, 77% of the residents of the United States of America claim to be Christian. 77%. Dear ones, we do not live in a Christian country. We do not live in a Christian country. Our President Barack Obama made this statement once a few years ago. He said, for whatever we used to be, we are no longer a Christian nation. It's probably one of, if not the only, statement I've ever heard from our president with which I would actually agree. I actually agree with Barack Obama. We do not live in a Christian nation. I agree with him, though undoubtedly uh, for very different reasons than what uh, he intended. But uh, the statement in and of itself is true. We murder 3,288 unborn children in this country every single day every single day. We are horrified when we turn on the news and we see ISIS beheading people, but we do not seem to be nearly as disturbed by the fact that we do equally heinous things in this country, but on a far greater scale, and we do it legally. And unless you think, oh, Justin, there's surely there, there's no parallel between ISIS 
in what we allow in the United States of America, why isn't there? ISIS cuts off people's heads, and we cut off babies' heads. I mean, maybe not literally, but we we legally, we give doctors legal protection to go in to, to the womb and to an unborn baby, put a hole in the back of the baby's head and, and, and suck out its, its brains to cut its spinal cord. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. There, there is a moral equivalence there. And, and we, we do this to 3,288 unborn children every single day in this country. And we do it legally. We do it legally. Dear friends, we do not live in a Christian country. We do not live in a Christian country. If we truly lived in a Christian nation, we would be protecting our unborn children, not slaughtering them. We claim to follow Christ, and yet many of us simply ignore His Word. This is true not only of Americans in general, but dear ones, this is true even of most evangelical Christians. As evangelicals, we all profess a belief in the inerrancy of Scripture. I mean, if you want to be anybody in an evangelical church today, you're going to have to at least give lip service to your belief in the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, we all profess fidelity to God's Word. Oh, yes, we all believe the Word of God. We believe the Bible is God's Word. And yet most of us are alarmingly ignorant of what is actually in God's Word. We as evangelicals are becoming increasingly biblically illiterate. We profess faith in the Bible, and we may bring our Bibles with us to church on Sunday morning, but during the week we rarely, if ever, pick it up. We do not study it. If we do not read and study God's Word, dear ones, then we cannot know God. We cannot know God. All these people professing their knowledge of God and their love for God, and yet they don't read God's Word, they don't study His Word, they don't know God like they profess to know Him. They don't love God like they profess to love Him. And for many of us as evangelicals, the Bible is great until it becomes inconvenient. And then it's not so great anymore. And you've probably heard me make this point on other programs, but I believe it, and it is something that has just been emblazoned on my heart and mind. For many of us as evangelicals, the Bible is great until... It becomes inconvenient. If it challenges what we have believed to be true, but really is not true, then it's not so great. When it challenges our church traditions, not so great. Nothing wrong in and of themselves with traditions, except when those traditions run contrary to the, to the Word of God. But when our church traditions run contrary to the Word of God, for most evangelicals, Guess uh, which is going to be laid by the wayside. Church traditions or God's Word? God's Word will be laid by the wayside, unfortunately. Uh, when Christ, let me give you an example of this, when Christ in Matthew chapter 18 calls churches to exercise church discipline, and he even lays out the process to do church discipline step by step, very clear in Matthew chapter 18, gives us step-by-step instructions. We pretend like that passage is not even there. 
we ignore it. When Christ, the head of the church, gives instructions to his church about how to bring sinning believers to repentance and how to protect the purity of his church by removing the person who proves himself to be an unbeliever by his refusal to repent, we think we know better than he. And uh, to take a little pause here, this is something that I think is very, very important, dear ones. I get emails pretty regularly, got one last night from people asking, is this a good church? You know, is such and such a good church? How do I find a good church? Let me give you a good rule of thumb. Um, Matthew chapter 18, the steps of church discipline. This is a direct command from Christ to his church about how to handle sinning believers, or at least sinning professing believers in the body. If you go to a church right now and you have never seen Matthew chapter 18 followed in your church, something's wrong. Something is wrong. Uh, I have been, let me just give you an example. I've been to John MacArthur's church for a Sunday morning service a handful of times, maybe five times. Uh, I've been to Grace Community Church in Bozeman, Montana, a handful of times on Sunday morning, five or six times probably. Uh, I uh, was a, a member of Grace Community Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. It's a very small church. The first two churches I mentioned are, are rather large churches. MacArthur's very large, and, and the one in Bozeman is is large, over a thousand members. Uh, Grace Community Church, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, small church, about eh, maybe sixty or so people, sixty seventy people on a Sunday morning, give or take. And do you know, uh, oh, and Steve Lawson's church that he used to pastor, he's no longer pastor there anymore, but I've been to his church for a handful of Sunday morning services. At each of these churches, I have seen church discipline done. At each one of these churches. And when I say church discipline, I mean the steps of Matthew 18 have been followed, and this sinning person refused to repent. And at each one of these churches, they have called out the person's name publicly, said, we have followed the steps of Matthew chapter 18, uh, and and so-and-so, John Doe, has refused to repent. I mean, they call him out by name, him or her out by name, publicly, in front of the whole church on a Sunday morning. The point I'm making is this. If you go to a church that truly believes the Word of God, that, that believes the Word of God and follows God's Word even when it's inconvenient, in Matthew 18, you know, it's when you follow it, it's, uh, you know, it, it can be kind of uncomfortable for some people because it means calling somebody out publicly by their name and exposing their sin to the entire congregation. Not many churches are willing to do that. But if you go to a good church, church discipline is going to happen. I mean, it's going to be done. It will happen. I've seen it done even in small churches. Uh, Kootenai Community Church, which I'm a member of. Well, technically, I guess I'll probably be a member in a couple of weeks. But, but I've, we've gone through the classes, filled out the you know, uh, uh, personal testimony and doctrinal statement and all that. Uh, wonderful process, by the way. But anyway... 
um, Kootenai Community Church here in Sandpoint, Idaho. Uh, I suppose maybe Sunday morning there's about 130, 100 or so people, give or take, 130, 140. And um, there's a, a church discipline issue that's going to be coming up here, you know, in a couple of weeks. So the point I'm making is this. If, if you go to a real church, uh, Matthew 18 is going to be done. It's going to happen. There are going to be. It's just going to happen. And so if you've been going to a church for years and years and years and you've never seen Matthew 18 followed, something is wrong. That tells you that that church really doesn't take God's word as seriously as it professes that it does. It really doesn't. Uh, because that's kind of a... I tell people, if you're looking for a good church, and I, I'm asked period, periodically, how do I find a good church? I, would, I think that's a pretty good litmus test. If you're if you're looking for a home church and you think you may have found one, then go to the pastor or one of the elders and ask them, say, you know, do y'all take Matthew chapter 18 seriously, church, church discipline? And if they don't, if that's not something they do, then that tells you that for them, the Bible is great until it becomes inconvenient, until it makes us a little uncomfortable, and then it's not so great anymore. And John MacArthur has gone so far as to say, and I would have to agree with him biblically, and I've talked to some other pastor friends, my own pastor, Jim Osmond, uh, I, I think biblically you have to make this case, I think it's absolutely true, that if a church refuses to do Matthew chapter 18, if it refuses to do church discipline, then it cannot be called a true church. Because Christ gives his church commands. We are to preach the gospel. We are to teach the word of God. We are to make disciples. Uh, churches are to baptize believers. Not infants, but that's another radio program. We are to baptize believers. We are to partake in the Lord's Supper and communion. And we are to practice church discipline. Matthew chapter 18. So if your church doesn't do that, uh, MacArthur and others would say, and I would have to say, then it's then it's not a real church. How how can a body of believers willingly and knowingly willingly refuse to do something that Christ, her head, has commanded that church to do? Just willingly refuse to do it and still call itself the body of Christ. I don't think you can. So, all of that to say, for many of us as evangelicals, we profess faith in the Word of God. We profess fidelity to the inerrancy of Scripture. And um, some evangelicals would even profess fidelity to the sufficiency of Scripture. But, uh, unfortunately, the Bible is great for many of us until it becomes inconvenient. Another example of how biblically illiterate so many people are becoming. We've all heard and are familiar with the verse, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, uh, there I am in their midst. How many times have we heard this verse uh, read or cited on a Sunday morning service or Wednesday night prayer meeting? I cannot tell you how many times uh, growing up, how many times in college, how many times in seminary, 
I would go to a church and I would hear the pastor or the music minister, somebody like that, say, and usually it happened on a Wednesday night where two or three are gathered together. Uh, Christ is in their midst. You know, Christ is in, so we know Christ is with us because we have more than two or three gathered together here. And I wonder when people hear this verse cited, how many realize, how many Christians realize that this is actually the concluding verse, the concluding um, step, concluding statement that Jesus made to in regards to church discipline. Matthew, this is directly from Matthew chapter 18. This is when he is concluding his teaching, his discourse on church discipline. And when people hear this familiar verse read, I wonder how many people know that. How many people know that, oh yeah, that's talking about church discipline. It has nothing to do with Sunday morning service. It has nothing to do with Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I can remember as a kid, I would hear this and, and I would always wonder, well, well, where two or three are gathered, well, what about when I'm by myself? You know, is, is Jesus not with me then? Do I have to have two or three other people with me to know that he's here? You know, I don't know. Have you ever wondered that? I, I used to wonder it all the time. Well, the reason that doesn't make any sense is because it's taken out of context. It's talking about church discipline. So, indifference, dear ones, in conclusion, and then, Lord willing, next week we will get to our main text, beginning in verse 25. And in conclusion to this program, those who are indifferent to God's word, the sin of indifference is actually worse and more offensive, more odious to Christ than those who actively oppose him. The indifference of those who profess to be his is far more offensive than all of the ISIS fighters, all of the ACLUs, all of the liberal politicians put together. The people of Capernaum never persecuted Christ. Very few even criticized him. They were simply indifferent. And when we consider that it will be more tolerable for Sodom, a city that was known for violent homosexuals, more tolerant for Sodom than it will be for Capernaum, a city that was merely indifferent to Christ, that should give us pause. That should give us pause. Okay, dear ones, we're about to wrap up this program. The heater is clicked on, so um, but we're at the tail end. And I do thank you for joining me. Lord willing, next week we will get into our main text, beginning verse 25 through 30. This is a series of programs I have entitled Rest for the Weary. Rest for the Weary. And when uh, after the next probably three programs, Matthew 11, 25 through 30, then we will get to uh, a series that I'm really excited about, a series on spiritual warfare that uh, I've got, let's see, I believe we did 12 programs, or 11, 11 or 12 programs. Uh, Jim Osmond and I have recorded already, kind of in the hopper, ready to go, just got to edit them. But uh, 11 programs on spiritual warfare. And if you've ever wondered about binding Satan, if you've wondered about rebuking Satan, or territorial spirits, or generational curses, praying hedges of protection, things like that. Uh, I think this series on spiritual warfare you're going to find very, very interesting. I'm really excited about it. My friend, Pastor Jim Osmond, has written a book on spiritual warfare entitled Truth or Territory. 
truth or territory, a biblical approach to spiritual warfare. It's not out yet, but uh, Lord willing, towards the end of the month, the end of January 2015, it will be available on Kindle. So I'm really excited about this. It'll be a great, great resource, I believe, to the body of Christ. So we're going to do everything I can to get it out there. So thank you very much, dear ones, for joining me. Thank you for your patience, forbearance through the noise of the heater. And until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to the Justin Peters Program. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or would like to invite him to come and speak at your church or conference, contact him through his website, justinpeters.org. That's justinpeters.org. Dot org.